for two years, I battled with insecurities and wrong thinking about my ministry, among other things, that threatened my very pastorate. And this all came to a head on a Saturday evening, September 30th. Saturdays have always been tough for me. It is If the devil intends to attack, he often will concentrate his efforts on the day that I'm most raw and most intent on discerning God's will. Now again, let me assure you that my struggles that led to a month sabbatical from preaching are not going to be a constant theme from this pulpit. But I do think it prudent as the Lord leads. I think it prudent to share lessons that I'm learning throughout this process because it might help you. That Saturday night was especially dark, so much so that my wife didn't know exactly what to do, so she did the only things that she could do. She prayed, and she quoted Scripture. Um, Of course, Scripture was not initially well-received. I think my response was somewhere along the lines of, I do this for a living. Don't you think I know that? What a jerk, right? But wounded dogs often snap at the hand that intends to help them. One scripture that she kept repeating was the one we're going to look at this morning, Psalm 13. When I got a little more of what I'm going to call spiritually lucid, I spent a great deal of time in this passage. I spent a lot of time in a lot of passages, but a whole lot of time in this one. The Bible that I studied for this passage titles this psalm, A Prayer for Help. This seems both succinct and entirely accurate. The context is that David is on the run from Saul. He has to this point behaved himself wisely and honorably. He deserves none of Saul's hatred toward him. Yet Saul pursues, intent on killing this young man who has been nothing but faithful to him. It's important to note the uncomfortable honesty of David's song, a recurring theme throughout the Psalms that we'll address later. The Psalm touches on all three parts of David's inner experience. And I think that if you think about tough times that you've been in, you'll find that these three, these three points exist in your inner experience as well. Verses 1 and 2 are intensely emotional. Revealing David's true, unvarnished feelings. Verses 3 and 4 proceed from the emotional to the rational. As David begins to itemize in his mind the facts that he perceives about his situation. So we've moved from the emotional to to the rational, from feelings to at least what he perceives to be facts. But in verses 5 and 6... David finally breaks through from the emotional to the rational to the spiritual. He sets aside his feelings and his perceived facts for a much-needed faith. This psalm does not represent the last time David would be overwhelmed, the last time he'd be afraid, or the last time that he would question the presence and providence of God. And September 30th won't be the last time that I do the same. As I've told you before, I'm not 100% now, 
But I've come to understand I wasn't 100% then either. I never have been, and I never will be. None of us are. When we start thinking we're 100%, we're in trouble. Because there's never a moment in our existence that we're not 100% dependent upon God. The Christian life is a series of highs and lows, ebbs and flows. And we find ourselves on the crest of a wave of victory one minute and crashing down amidst the flotsam and jetsam of defeat in another. As I mentioned before, the editor of the study Bible that I used to work through this passage called Psalm 13, A Prayer for Help. I can't improve upon Mr. Zodiati's title. So I'll borrow it for our purposes today. If you don't need it today, you will, and probably sooner than you imagine. So let's look to David's example and study a prayer for help. A prayer for help. Father, would you help me, even now, to rightly divide your word of truth? May Christ be lifted up in it. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. We look at a prayer for help. I'm talking about one that means business. I'm talking about one that gets it done. We notice, first of all, that a prayer for help is genuine. A prayer for help is genuine. Look at verse number one, would you? How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? Notice that phrase, take counsel in my soul. How long am I talking to myself with you nowhere to be found? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? We see many psalms, particularly those written by David. Yeah, you see it in Asaph and, and some others, but particularly those written by David, many of them are brutally honest about his state. Spurgeon said that David's heart was more often out of tune than was his harp. David is clearly overwhelmed, and in his being overwhelmed, he is absolutely devoid of pretense. There is nothing in this prayer, there is nothing in this psalm that suggests that David is trying to do anything but be honest. Now, let's, let's, let's look at our own selves. How many times do we have a prayer life that is just absolutely convoluted by us trying to impress God with how we're talking to him? I go before the throne room of God and I try to impress him with my prayers. God doesn't want that. God wants us to be honest because I got news for you. He already knows what's going on inside of you. He already knows how you feel. He already knows what's, what your heart is feeling. He already knows what your mind is thinking. David is especially honest. In verse number one, he feels forgotten. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? In the second part of verse 1, he feels forsaken. How long wilt thou hide thy face 
from me. And then when you look at verses 1 and 2, he feels forsaken, he feels forgotten, and he feels like God has frozen him out. You ever felt frozen out? You ever felt like you were on the outside looking in and that they're not talking to you and they're not including you and they're done with you? You just feel like you froze out. That's exactly where David is. Because look at what you see over and over again. This is a grammatical device called an anaphora. Now, what in the world does that mean? How long wilt thou forget me? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? How long shall mine enemy be exalted? He says, how long? Four times. It's the repetition of the same word or phrase at the beginning of successive sentences meant to draw attention. Andy, what in the world are you talking about? Have you ever called in an order to pick up? And you made the mistake of waiting till right at lunchtime, whether it's CJ's or, you know, or Moondog or wherever you like to eat. And you call at 12. Doop, 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 doop. Doop, 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 doop. Doop, 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 doop. Doop, 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 doop. Thanks for calling whatever. Can you hold? Oh. <laughs> now they didn't have phones back then. But David calls. And nobody answers. And David calls. And nobody answers. And David calls. And nobody answers. And David calls. And nobody answered. And it's like a spiritual busy signal. And so David cries out, How long will you forsake me? How long will you forget me? How long are you going to freeze me out? Now those of us that are a little more pious, well, I would not dare talk to God like that. David did. You going to sit here and tell me you're more spiritual than David? David was honest. Now, we dare not be disrespectful, but it is completely allowable, and I would say advisable, to be honest with God about how we really feel. I sat in this room on that front pew, among other places, and I wept, begging God to just listen and telling him exactly where I was. When you are overwhelmed and when you are offering a prayer for help, that is not the time to make sure that you use appropriate King James English that is not the time to try and sugarcoat what's going on in your heart and mind so God thinks you're doing better than you actually are. Yeah. What father in here, if our child came to us in tears and just poured their heart out to us, whether they were ill-informed or not, 
but poured out their heart. Who in here would rebuke them for that? Can I tell you something, beloved? God's big enough to take whatever you can dish out. I'm not saying that we should just be flipping about it and just speak to God as though he's something other than the almighty creator of the universe. But when you speak to him, your prayer should be genuine. God, this is where I am. And it hurts. And I feel like you've forsaken me. I feel like you've forgotten about me. I feel like you have frozen me out, and I don't know what to do. God at times allows such depth of emotion to position us so he can use us. John Phillips said, man's extremity is God's opportunity. So when you pray for help, that prayer needs to be one that's genuine. Number two, it needs to be one that's growing. There needs to be some growth within that prayer. He says, how long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? It's, it's, it's all emotion. There's no facts to it. Does God forget us? Of course not. Does he forsake us? Of course not. Has he frozen us out? Of course not. But when you're in that kind of a state and you're just completely overcome with emotion, you don't think clearly. But what happens in this prayer for help is you start to move from that emotion to more of a rational thought. You're still not there yet. It's still not right, but you're getting there. Because look at verse number three. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. A prayer for help may begin in a deep and dark place, but it can't remain there. Yes, be honest and and call out from that dark place, but then when God tries to move you, don't fight him on it. We see a progression in David's prayer. It's slight, but it's significant. He transitions from raw emotion to being somewhat more rational. He presents to the Lord what he believes to be the facts about his situation. Now, he's wrong, but at least he's taking some time to think. This signals a greater depth of thought. Lord, he goes from, Lord, why have you forgotten me? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you frozen me out? Now he says, Lord, in verse 3, I fear that I'm going to die. I fear I'm going to die. And then in verse 4, Lord, I fear that your enemy and mine are going to win. He's still not right. He's not going to die. And the enemy's not going to win. Remember, we're on the winning side. Okay? But he's starting to formulate thoughts. He's incorrect in both conclusions, but more rational even so. The growth of which we speak is much more subtle, but man, it's significant because here's what we didn't look at. Yeah, he's wrong about dying and he's wrong about the enemy winning, but I want you to notice what he says in verse number three. Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. See, he starts out just saying, Lord, but now he says, Lord God. And in addition to that, he says, 
Lord, my God. He's now not just talking to the God. He's talking to his God. Is there a stark difference in that? Sure. Amber, how you been doing? Doing okay? Okay, I'm talking to a woman. Hey, baby. Now I'm talking to my woman. You better believe there's a difference. Yes, sir. He's thinking, there's a difference. Yeah. You know your prayer for help is growing when you stop praying to God and you start praying to your God. But not only that, the names that he uses, because God's got, oh, let, me, let me think about how I'm going to phrase this. I about said God has many names. And that's true. Allah is not one of them. Amen. Okay. But you understand that the same God that we worship, we call him Jehovah, we call him Jesus, we call him Christ, we call him Messiah. I mean, there, there's all sorts of titles, maybe is the best way to put it, for the one true God. David chooses Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh, I am. Wrapped up in that name, the covenant name for God that he gave Moses is a promise. Elohim speaks to his power. So what has David done? David is now starting to formulate in his thinking that I'm not just speaking to my God. I'm being reminded of the truth that my God is God of both promise and power. You see, God made David a promise long before this. And that is a promise that God and God alone could fulfill, and he would do so through his power. What was the promise? 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren to do what? To be the next king. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day. Hey, David, you can't die. I made you a promise. And I'm going to get you through by my power. Amen. Our prayer for help may start out in a bad place, but it should lead us to grow. A prayer for help is genuine. A prayer for help is growing Thirdly, a prayer for help is Godward. Well, duh! It's not as elementary as you think it is. Because if we're not careful, we'll pray in every direction but heaven. Look at verse 5. So many of us cry out for help. But our direction is anything but Godward. Going through a tough time, and so I spend all my time crying to my friends. I spend all my time complaining to authority. 
Here's one. I spend time complaining to social media. I can't find anywhere in Scripture that says, if your brother, you've ought against your brother, go to with word of mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about Christians. Get on social media. This has been the worst day ever, but I don't want to talk about it. Then shut up. Mm. as a truth grenade and it's about to go off we're in the depths of life and we talk to our friends and we talk to authority and we talk to social media and sometimes we even talk to ourselves and maybe one day we might get around to actually talking to God about it I'm guilty y'all I'm guilty. I have a tendency when things go bad, the first thing I want to do is circle the wagons. But long before I call the deacons, long before I call the financial committee, long before I sit down with my, my personal staff, long before I get, I get the church together, I better have talked to God about it. Amen. So for that month, I laid pretty low. Because I don't love you? Certainly not. Because I don't want to be around you? Certainly not. But I had to force myself to spend some time where it was just me and God. Verse number four. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. David's still not in a great place until verse five where you have that wonderful pivot that wonderful transitional word but I'm headed this way but but what but I have trusted in thy mercy my heart shall rejoice in thy salvation I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me David pivots back to the only one who can help him he makes a choice to praise God even though nothing has improved. How do you praise God when things haven't gotten any better? What's it say? I have trusted in thy mercy. Trust is a choice. If you think trust is based on your emotions, you'll never trust anybody or anything. That was one of my problems, and I still, I still wrestle with it. I start reading into things, and I start getting moved by my emotions, and before I know it, I don't trust anybody. It's not their fault. It's mine. I have to make a decision. When I don't understand what God is doing, I am, I am absolutely intent, set like a flint, to trust who he is. And that he's, I chose the songs this morning. I don't often do that, but I did all the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? 
Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whate'er befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. And then at the end of it, when I wing my flight to realms of day, this my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. Oh, Andy, you got it licked, not by a long shot. And neither do you. But as best I can, I'm going to decide to trust. Trust isn't the absence of fear or terror. It's confidence in God in spite of it. One of the greatest examples I've ever heard of this is Stonewall Jackson. He's there in the battle, sitting on top of his horse, Little Sorrel. Bullets whizzing everywhere. And his men look at him and they say, there is General Jackson standing like a stone wall. That's where he got his name from. And somebody asked him, how in the world can you sit astride your horse? Everybody else has taken cover. Everybody else is on the run. And there you sit. He says, God's already appointed the day for my departure. I'm as safe safe in battle as I am in bed. Now, I'm not saying that we should be foolish, but we need to understand that God never stops being in control. Can I tell you a secret? Will you not hold it against me? I wasn't altogether thrilled with the election results. I'd like some of the things done a little bit differently. I'm I'm not really that excited about what it's shaping up to be in November when we vote for president. I can't say I'm happy with anything before me at the moment. What do I have to remind myself of? God's still in control. And he's sovereign. I'll do my part. I'll prayerfully vote. But I'm going to tell you, at the end of the day, no matter who's sitting in the White House, Congress, the Supreme Court, at the end of the day, God never stops being in control. Easy preaching, hard living. At the end of this psalm, none of David's circumstances have changed. Saul's still trying to kill him. He's still on the run. He's still hiding in caves. None of his circumstances have changed. But David has. And this is the question that I've had to wrestle with and still wrestle with. And you can blame my wife because she brought this psalm to me. (laughs) Do I ask for God to change my circumstances, but not allow him to change me? Because you know what? All the circumstances that led me to that point of a near nervous breakdown. By some standards, maybe it was a full-on nervous breakdown. All those circumstances still exist. They're still here. Nothing's changed. 
But I had to humble myself and say, okay, God, you're not going to change any of this. I need you, whether I want you to or not, to change me. And it's a process. But God, where I don't let you rule, I'm asking you to overrule. Where I don't let you have control, I'm asking you to take control. And I'm having to learn not to look at my problems, look at my fears, look at my anxieties. No. But they're still there. Yeah. The problems are still there. My fears are still there. My anxieties are still there. My insecurities are still there. And they probably will be the rest of my life. So what's the key? To stop looking at them and ask God to help me look through them. Because who's on the other side? As Peter took steps on the water, he started looking at the waves and the results of the wind and stopped looking through them to the one he was walking to. And that's when he sank. So what? September 30th was a dark place for me. If I'm honest with you, last night wasn't great. And if you're not already in this kind of situation, you may find yourself there. I have no idea what's going to trigger it. It's probably going to be something completely different than me. And can I just tell you something, beloved? This standard IFB answer that we give people, are you reading your Bible and praying like you should be? Now, that's important. We, yes, you ought to be reading your Bible, and you ought to be praying, but we've got to quit being so simplistic. The fact is people are hurting, and they look for God's people for answers. And rather than me slap a Bible in front of them and say, read your Bible, I need to be able to open the Word of God and show them what thus saith the Lord. I need to help them know what you should pray. And that's what this message has been all about. Okay, I need to pray. I need to pray a prayer for help. What, what does that look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. It starts with being genuine. Good night, y'all. Let's stop playing church. Our lives are falling apart, and we walk in Bible in hand. Bless the Lord. Hey, sister, how are you? God's good, isn't he? Oh, now I'm not saying that there aren't times that we have to suck it up and be pleasant for people and that kind of thing. And I'm not saying that we should walk in every time we walk through the doors. How you doing? Uh, nobody knows. <laughs> the trouble I see, nobody knows but Jesus. And I don't think he cares. There's got to be somewhere in between. If you're hurting, do you not have a right to expect you can get some help here? Our prayer should be genuine. Oh, God, I'm hurting. I got no idea what you're doing. 
I got no idea why you're allowing this. We talk, we're going through the book of Esther in our teen Sunday school class, and I was super careful, but I made sure they understood that this was not a beauty pageant. Esther went through some traumatic experiences. Xerxes had her for a night to do as he saw fit. She was assaulted. Why would God allow that? Because sometimes God doesn't do evil. He doesn't perform evil, but sometimes he allows it that he might position us to do something unimaginable for his glory. And maybe God lets you go through that valley because that's, that's how he's going to position you to be used of him to help who knows however many others. But be genuine. God, why? God, how long? But understand he does not intend for you to stay there. He wants to grow you. And you start moving from the emotional to the rational. And now it's not just prayers that are genuine, it's prayers that are growing. Okay, Lord, you're showing me some things. And now I'm calling upon you, my Lord God, my God of promise and my God of power. I need your help. And then, then you start really getting that communication Godward. And before long, you're not seeing, you're not looking at the problems. You're looking through them. Where are you at today? I just, I, I, I can't be the only one in here whose life is a mess. I can't be the only one in here that is absolutely inundated with confusion and, 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 and at times despair. Because we're all made of the same stuff. Well, not me, preacher. I'm on the mountain. Watch out. People fall off mountains all the time. What are you going to do when you do? I'll tell you what you do. You offer a prayer that's genuine. You offer a prayer that's growing. And you offer a prayer that's Godward. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You're lost. We all start out that way. That's our default setting. He that believeth on the Son is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already. John chapter 3. I'm not asking if you're religious. I'm not asking if you're a good person, if you're a moral person. I'm asking you if there's been a time in your life that you understood I am a sinner and my sin separates me from God. It disqualifies me from heaven and dooms me to hell. But Jesus Christ came to earth and took our sins upon himself, and he paid the price that God's righteousness might be satisfied. He suffered in our place and paid our sin debt. He died, they buried him, and on the third day he rose again and offered his blood on the mercy seat as the once and only sacrifice for the sins of mankind. And if you would be saved, it is not join a certain church or the certain denomination or get in the water or fill out a card. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You say, Andy, I don't, I don't understand all that. I don't, I don't understand all the doctrine you're preaching. I don't understand everything the Bible says. Let me tell you what you do. You get before your holy God, and you, believe, you begin by being genuine. I'm a sinner. I'm a mess. And if I die right now, I'm going to hell. And you know what will happen? The Holy Spirit will start to grow you. But I am a sinner, but God made a promise.
that if I believe, his power would get me there. And before long, before you know it, you're talking Godward. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. The best I know how, I put my faith and trust my entire eternity in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ. The most important prayer for help there is. I don't know what you need today, but if you're hurting, if you're confused, if you're lost, today's the day to offer up a prayer for help. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please.